The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. You're listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer, along with my bride, Sherry. And for the next 25 minutes, we talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So we need to kind of summarize our last segment in order to finish up today's segment and then transition into the Ted and Ting talk. So in our last segment, Sherry, we covered, well, actually a couple, we've covered self-awareness, mm-hmm. which means self-awareness is that ability. I caught you off. She's looking at me like, oh my gosh, you did it to me again. <laughs> so it's that awareness of what's happening in the world around you, right? What others do, how you respond to them, and how others respond to you. And then you've got self-regulation, which is basically civility with boundaries. Right, and using self-awareness as your leveraging point for self-regulation, being aware of what it is within yourself, and that focus being within yourself to be able to regulate what changes can be created. And then, then we move that regulation into empathy as a great place to be able to create um, effective and lasting relationships in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we defined what empathy was and how different it was from sympathy or what we traditionally think is empathy. Yeah, empathy is split between Latin and Greek. M, E-M, is the Latin to see, to see through, and pathy is Greek for the eyes of another. So being able to see through the eyes of, the, uh, of another means it doesn't come with our own story. And that's where we were able to find how it is that you can see through my eyes to understand childbirth. Right. Something you can't do. And thank goodness. But that you can actually say you can empathize my experience through childbirth birth because you use empathy as a social skill, yeah, as an it, emotional intelligence. If you can't component. get through life without bringing yourself into it, just do sympathy. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for and that. And you can still be acted, you know, acting upon compassion for that. Sure. But the power comes in being able to listen and understand and seek purely the understanding of another. Exactly. So we want to add one more thing to it. We're going to add self-expression or emotional expression. It simply by definition is it involves openly expressing feelings both verbally and non-verbally. 
We each share energy and messages with others regardless if there's a cognitive awareness. Now we got to go – we can go back to the Pygmalion effect. This is that ability to to, uh, transmit energy to others based upon our internal biases. The key component is are you aware that you've got an internal bias? Can you remain neutral in that space? So to, to further the definition, even when we are not speaking, our body language and facial features can send a silent and loud message of our current disposition. Again, that teacher's bias that their students were gifted. Some carry, some people carry a very uplifting, light-filled message, while others are dark, closed up. And as I had for so many years, I had a chip on my shoulder. I didn't have any idea that that's the energy. Um, I was just actually dealing with a good friend of ours, just chatting with her. She's from Germany or lives in Germany. And we were talking a little bit about this. And she said, oh, yeah, from the time I met you, it was 20 plus years ago till now, I've seen such a change because I really did have a chip on my shoulder. So Pearl S. Buck said, self-expression must pass into communication for its fulfillment. Here's our case study. All right, this comes from uh, the book Verbal Judo, which we talked a little bit about last Mm -hmm. time. And so we want to be able to, uh, let me tell you the history behind Verbal Judo. The author, George Thompson, um, has a black belt uh, in Judo and Taekwondo karate. Um, He's also got a Ph.D. in English. His parents were both scholars. So he grew up in an environment of scholarly talk, but that wasn't his. That's just not him. He just did it because that's what his mom and dad wanted him to do. So he became a teacher. His first teaching experience was somewhat humorous. But the story today is about a call he made when he became a cop. At age 35, he left the teaching career and he became a cop. So he's a rookie cop. And I'm going to present the scenario We'll discuss the scenario, and then we'll go and explain what he did. So the scenario is as follows. They got a phone call on a domestic dispute. So that's the ones cops hate the most. Yeah. They don't like these at all. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. He's a rookie cop 10 days into the field training. So he's out of officer's training. He's in the field, and he and his partner – Uh, get a call at 2 a.m. in the morning to break up a nasty domestic dispute on the east side of a city in Emporia in Kansas. And it's a notorious place for drug dealing and random violence. They could hear the couple's vicious mouth-to-mouth combat from the street. There's our scenario. So you walk up. It doesn't sound like it would be. So you walk up, and and this is the story we have. Let's say you're the cop. You have low empathy but high self-expression. Okay. Low empathy. You have a hard time seeing and understanding maybe others' perspectives. Right. But you're really good at launching what you think. Yeah, in a nutshell. Okay. So what's going to happen in that story? So as as you think it through, by the way. I already see challenges with self-awareness and self-regulation happening. Mm. Because if... He has low empathy. He's not very aware. And if he's very high in self-expression, probably a lot of that self-expression is not regulated and is quite impulsive. So what's interesting here, and I'll just do color commentary for a moment. Notice how they're all connected. Yes, you can't. It isn't just one. No. There's a balance here, like a paradoxical balance, which we'll do another time. But the balance of the fact is it's really hard to have empathy and have um, low self-awareness. 
it's challenging. Right. You've got to be higher in your self-awareness. And if you're too busy expressing yourself, the chances of high self, high self-regulation is also going to be challenging. Right. right. And that you are kind of clouding up the environment with your expression that you're not going to be able to see through and understand what's happening in your surroundings, let alone understand a single individual and their perspective. So I'm fortunate enough that I get to work with law enforcement in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's absolutely thrilling to do this. I have such respect for the men and women who, who wear the badge. But the men and women who wear a badge are challenged. I mean, first of all, they put a, a, a uniform on. And to some people, they're an enemy the minute they walk out right. the door. I mean, not just an enemy that I don't like you and I might yell at you, but I might shoot you as right. well. Right, so they become targets. Yeah, and they know much. this. So you've got a number of things going on, the dynamics inside of law enforcement. The fact is that how much more social awareness, emotional intelligence does a law enforcement officer have to have over the man in the street? I've been told stories of uh, a, a particular sergeant was sharing this. We were over at Starbucks getting a quick snack. And he said he, he uh, was walking out of the, it was the courtroom, I think. And there was a guy around taking a bunch of pictures. Long story short is that guy was doing everything he could to egg on the officer because he was filming everything that was going on. And when the officer realized what was going on, he had a really good degree of emotional intelligence about him. He said, so did I pass? This is the officer to the, the guy. He says, yeah, you did pretty good. He says, I was just trying to see if I can get you to, to, to hit me or to yell at me or to cuff me. Jeez. So yeah. And the guy just blatantly yeah. admitted it. I'm going to try to provoke you and see what I can get out of it. So, yeah. I mean, that's where and that's the legal. Turned. Yes. And that's where it's become an issue. So this work in law enforcement is very worthy of um, the attention to emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And so we do work with them on this one. And they're coming from a position that every one of them has been through such dramatic experiences, traumatic experiences, that they're kind of pushing themselves through this quagmire of day-to-day operations with the public who's been turned against them. I mean, just imagine for a second what it would be like if we don't have cops. Just imagine. Do you trust everybody? Well, is everybody law abiding? Right. But we are inviting anarchy without them. Yeah. So that, that's just a perspective <laughs> that I have. All right. So here's the scenario. That's the low empathy, high self-expression. And this officer is walking into this domestic dispute. Now, let's reverse it. I want I want to do the scenarios. What if he comes in the officer with high empathy but low self-expression? Well, then he's going to be very self-aware of what others are doing. But will he be able to be effective and if he can't express? So he, he's got the awareness piece, but has he been able to really connect it to his regulation? And keep in mind, it's not just words. It's body language, sure, facial the energy, features, the energy. The energy may be um, a little bit overly submissive. Or what if it's just there's nothing sure. there? Yeah. There's no support. Or lack of connection. Yeah, there, there's just no connection at all. It's blank. So they might be able to see it through their eyes, but one, they can't find out because they don't ask questions. And the body language doesn't indicate any kind of bias or maybe a lack of, not disinterested, but uninterested. Right. That's a message. I mean, children who, uh, what's what's the study they did on children who had no affect from parents? Low affect. Oh my parents. gosh. Yeah. That low affect. Yeah. It's, a, it's an attachment. Right. 
issue. Okay, next. High empathy, high self-expression. They can see it, and then they can act appropriately <clears throat> in an effective way. Because they'll know how to express it. They'll be able to know how to act upon and regulate based off what they understand. How many times have you been in an argument, and the person who breaks up the argument just comes in with a sledgehammer and stops the two of you from fighting? That's one way to do it. But the other way to do it is to come in and find out what's going on. Does each party have a voice? I remember one time I had a, a couple, it was a husband and wife, but they were second marriage with the husband's daughter. This was a three hour appointment. The challenge was there was a huge disconnect between the dad and the daughter and the, the, the mother-in-law or the stepmother was kind of brought into the story by marriage. So what we did in the office, it was fascinating how it kind of panned out. There were a number of issues they wanted to cover, three specifically, we got to, to two. What we did, what I did is I simply had the daughter, she was a junior in college, the university. She got to express what her frustration was. Now the dad and the stepmother were refrained from expressing any opinions, none. They could only ask questions for clarity. When she finished explaining, explaining her position, I went to the dad and said, now tell the daughter her, what you understand her point of view to be. Now, he had a hard time, engineer type mind. Mm -hmm. She had to correct him and then re-explain it. So would you it. say he was low on self-expression? One. Okay. Well, he was really low on was empathy. Okay. He could not understand his daughter's perspective because he never tried to understand. And it's important to know what causes one or the other. You may see this low self-expression without understanding that it's based it might on have low to do empathy. It. it could, yeah. And then I, then I had, and once he could articulate back to the daughter, and it was very brief and minimal effort, that's a perception I could be wrong. Then I went to the stepmother, who's got fairly high emotional intelligence, and she articulated beautifully what the stepdaughter had said. Mm -hmm. okay. Then we reversed it and had the dad explain his position. Both of them could articulate it, and then we did the stepmother. It was fascinating. So it, the, the original appointment was set against the step, the, the daughter's desire. She did not want to come in and have this mediated. When she left, she spent another 20 minutes with me. It's just in the office talking and expressing a desire to continue talking. Huge, huge um, steps forward in where we were going. Did she finally have an opportunity to give voice? She got two of the three out, um, but there was a hiccup in there when it came to apologizing. The father thought he was apologizing when he was justifying his behavior. So he said, I'm sorry, but. Mm -hmm. And anybody but an engineer knows that a sorry, but isn't an apology. It's an explanation and a defense of your position. Mm -hmm. All right. So a little bit of a side note. So here's the story that happened. This is out of the book, Verbal Judo. So they make this call. Um, and his partner's name is Bruce. And uh, remember, our um, George is our author of the book. So he says, my training sergeant and partner, um, Bruce, and I approached and peeked through the half-open door. Then Bruce did something that they don't do. He just walked in past the couple without bothering to knock. He didn't identify him, nothing. He walked right past him. He sat down on the sofa, took his uniform capped off, and let out a big sigh, <sighs> planted himself on the couch, picked up the newspaper, and started looking through the, the classifieds. <laughs> now, George is sitting there in the 
in the doorway. He's got his hand on his 357. He's just flabbergasted. This is what's going on. Now, keep in mind, they had just had a number of domestic dispute calls earlier that day. You're supposed to separate and suture, which means you separate the two. They can't calm down. You, um, you cuff them. That's what separate and suture means. Suture means to cuff them. So yeah. that's protocol. And it's just to stop the damage. Control. Stop the damage. So, and my question is, what, what prompted Bruce? What self-awareness did he have or what awareness did he have uh-huh. that caused him to think, I'm just going to come in and blend him with the environment and see where this goes? Because it sounds like that's kind so, of where So George asked Bruce afterwards, yeah. right? Because he's sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. And Bruce's comment was interesting. He says, you know, I've been on force for 15 years. Maybe he was just tired of domestic disputes that week, huh? I'm see, I see so many things. And as I read this coming in, I realized there's a different way we could do this. Now, it's not textbook. So that doesn't, go, doesn't follow it at all. But I want you to see the benefits of what he did here when all said and done. So he walks in. He sits down on the sofa and starts thumbing through the classifieds. Now, he didn't get permission to walk in the house either. And so his job. I'm just saying there must have been some sense of that he had that these people are so into their verbal argument that I'm going to be able to walk in and not have a reaction. He actually treated the couple as though he were a visiting friendly uncle. Funny. You think about that. Yeah. So he keeps reading the paper and they keep arguing. While they're arguing now, there's still an elephant in the room. They didn't see the they didn't see um, George in the in the doorway mm-hmm. with his hand on his revolver. Mm-hmm. All they saw was the cop sitting on their sofa and they're yelling at each other. Then they look at the cop and they'd go back to yelling at each other. So there's this. I mean, if you were watching this on a like a dragon net or something, it'd She's be hilarious. This one. Okay, so they're going at it, and as right in the middle of their discussion, because they never noticed him. He's shaking the paper, and then he goes, folks, folks, excuse me. Hey, over here. He just grabs your attention really quick. The stunned husband does a double take. He says, what are you doing here? Bruce then says, you got a phone? Look, look right here, a 1950 Dodge, cherry condition. I got to borrow your phone. I know it's late, but I don't want to miss out on this. Where's that phone? I need to call right now. The husband, compliant with what he says, points to the phone incredulous. So Bruce stands up, walks over to the phone, dials the the number, and then mumbles something into the phone and then slams it down, saying, can you believe it? They wouldn't talk to me just because it's two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So by now, so by now, the, the argument had completely evaporated. They both were just dumbfounded, as was George, his partner, watching this happen. He says, by the way, very pleasantly, right, as if just coming aware of what's going on. Is there anything wrong here? Is there anything my partner pointing to George and I can do for you right now? The husband and the wife, they looked at the floor and they both just shook their heads. No, not really. (laughs) And they chatted with him a while. He says, you know, there's a lot of people around here are probably trying to sleep. And I know you two are having a rough go. Would it be okay if the two of you pick this up tomorrow? Look what it does. You don't get handcuffed. You don't get thrown in the back of a car. 
You don't get th- taken down to the, the police station. You don't have to get fingerprinted. Look at all the benefits from that. And we don't have to do any paperwork. Would that be okay with you? And they said, yeah, that'd be great. And so they just turned around, walked out, and went on their way. So you know what Bruce did? It, he disrupted the disruptors. Yes, he is did. what he did. Yeah. Um, and that takes a high, you know, finesse of self-awareness and self-regulation to pull that off authentically like he did. Go back to power and control. Just don't on me, yeah. what he just did. Mm-hmm. Remember, you want to be able to recognize both of them in a conversation. When Bruce walked in, especially when he started asking those questions. He took complete control of the scenario, not the people, just the scenario. And then when he went back to them and said, and he gave a kind of a cool metaphor, can you believe it? They won't talk to me. I know it's 2 a.m. in the morning, but this is a great deal. The, the irony of the story was, are you guys seeing what I see? You're yelling at the top of your lungs at 2 a.m. in the morning. And he never had to say that. Right. He, he was able to help them regulate themselves enough that right. night um, just based off of his disruption to their, their nonsense. Whatever innate awareness that Bruce had, that's commendable. But that's years of experience that he had mm-hmm. that wasn't scripted. Yeah. He just knew that was the right thing to do. And I think that was just brilliant you know, on, on how he brought that about. So the idea behind that is that he was able to come in, to my opinion, really high empathy, really high empathy. He could see what was going on, really good expression, a good awareness of what was right. going on, a good regulation of what was going on, and be able to calm down a scenario that was quite volatile. So, I mean, this is a great invitation to parents who are having to referee siblings mm-hmm. to, instead of coming back in and just fueling up you know, siblings that are having a row um, with more of your directive, you need to be, you know, let's separate you into different rooms. I mean, try to disrupt the disruptors um, with something else that will help them have the opportunity to gain more self-awareness. Correct. He came in there and, and because we're a little bit short on time, um, we wanted to get into Ted and Ting, but let's just kind of do a quick little parallel with what Bruce did coming in. Did he lecture the couple when he walked in? Are they even willing, are you in the position to receive a lecture? Obviously not. So it wasn't about Bruce being right, because he had the right to arrest him if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. But what purpose did it serve to be right? Right. It would have just pushed them away, more collusion going on, and then they hate the cops even more. That's the challenge it is to be a police officer. And sometimes you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But by definition, he came in there as someone who was interested in what was going on. In a way, he got them to see what was going on. He delegated the solution to the couple. It also seems to me that as a cop or as a law enforcer, he was actually seeing them as human beings going through a rough time versus you are the object I need to stop yeah. and in, stop you in your tracks and haul you in. There's your empathy. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't even have to go into a lot of detail. He didn't have to ask them. He didn't have to even interview them. No, it wasn't like he was a therapist in the moment. He simply was a human. Right. Human wearing a badge who gave them permission to to self-regulate. It was Bruce's um, awareness that allowed their awareness to to come forth, right? 
because mm-hmm. then they realized because they looked at the ground, they mumbled. They go, yeah, well, I, yeah, probably not. That was a huge awareness for them. And sometimes just that interrupt or disrupt of the disruptor gives you an awareness and allows your amygdala just to calm enough to make a good decision moving forward. So, okay, we're gonna wrap this up a little bit here. What What we are trying to emphasize is the role that emotional intelligence plays in everyday relationships, in everyday communication, just having aware of how they're interrelated and, and the fact that, and I'll, I'll say this again because it bothered me when I was doing the research, this isn't really a soft skill. This is the skill. It really is. And um, I, I just love this scenario because it really shows um, the connection between awareness and regulation and, and a high level of, of execution in this regard. And it was done seamlessly and flawlessly. In other words, he's done this so many times. Keep in mind, that's the pathway to learning emotional intelligence. It's, let's just say you're 30 years old and having a hard time with relationships. You've been having a hard time with relationships for over 20 years. You have two decades of walking this pathway of maladaptive behavior that you learned from the, the environment in which you grew up. Please understand, it's doable, but you have to reverse engineer it back. You have to compound back healthy behaviors, healthy understandings, little by little, day by day. It doesn't come overnight. It comes by doing it consistently. But you'd be amazed at how quickly you can learn a new behavior by practicing it daily, especially in your mind, using mindfulness, just seeing these arguments play out. And how will you be in awareness, regulate, empathy, and express yourself in a way that's neutral and you're seeking to understand the other person's point of view. Yeah, that's that's a great way to focus where we're going to go with our next topics in the next segment. So thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact us, Dr. H at HimmerCenter.com, D-R-H. Remember, all resources are within you. Challenges that come your way are perfect. Exactly what you need at this time to grow and come closer to integration. Perfect is a mistake that gets her a retake. We look forward to our next visit. Bye now. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day. These never-ending worries falling on my sleeve. So many times now I was... The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START, MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.
The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.